The following sermon is from Christ Church Port Orange. For more information, find us online at joinwithjesus.org. Thanks for listening. All right, Mark chapter 8. If you have your Bible, would you open to Mark chapter 8? Today we're going to wrap up what has been a three-part kind of mini-series entitled A Jesus-Centered Vision. We've been hanging out around Mark chapter 8, really 731 to 932, and we've seen the way that Mark presents Jesus as the Messiah and the understanding, the revelation of who Jesus is to his disciples in Mark chapter 8, verse 29, where Peter says, you are the Christ, a son of God. Jesus says, don't tell anybody this. He confirms that's true. But then he begins a shift where he starts to describe to the disciples what it means for him to be the Messiah. And that includes his betrayal, his death, and his resurrection. And so he says it plainly three times following this, this uh, proclamation by Peter. And this starts to shape what it means to follow Jesus. And so I want to talk to you this morning about where Jesus says in Mark 8, 34, um, if anyone would come after me, if you're going to follow Jesus, what does it mean for you? And I want us to kind of just focus in on chapter 8, verses 34 to 38, and just ask that question. What does it mean to come after Jesus? Now, this is important for a number of reasons. Obviously, it's of eternal significance for every human being, but if you're at church on a Sunday morning, I'm assuming that you have made some movement to follow Jesus. Uh, There's something in you that is driving you, compelling you to follow God, learn more, live life in a certain way, and you've made this a part of your day. So I'm presuming that there is some, some faith that's there. Many of you, great faith, some of you, small faith, but you're moving in God's direction. Now, I say this because I believe deep in my spirit that we need to be ready for something that God is about to do. I think all of us have this perception that we are on the edge of something. Do you guys know what I'm talking about? There's something, there's something that's stirring in the world that's visible. It feels like we're on the edge of something, something geopolitical or economic. Like what is about to happen? There's so much up in the air. There's so much uncertainty But also for those of us of a spiritual bent who are tuned into the move of God, there's this sense in which that we're right on the cusp of something that God's about to do. And those two things are likely to be related, but we don't know what what they are. We have this deep sense that God's about to do something. And I don't want you to be caught off guard. Recently, uh, we were doing some international travel, as you know, our whole family. And so we had lots of carry-on bags and luggage. And I had a surfboard I was traveling with. And so we got on a um, sky rail in an airport. And I usually just travel with like a backpack or like one little bag. You guys know this, right? So I'm all strapped down. Backpack, big case, surfboard. So one of the kids' cases, they got tired and I'm all, and then we get on the sky rail to get to our gate and um, we all kind of spread out. Everybody's like making the mad rush to get on. So I tried to move to be over by my wife and I kind of got almost to her. And just as I got to her, that thing took off and I took off fast and so I, I'm holding on this stuff, and I did that kind of like awkward backwards walk, hey, to the back of the sky rail, trying not to fall or knock anybody else down. And I got all the way to the back and kind of braced my shoulder against one of those bars you can hold on to. And I was like, okay, didn't wipe out, no public embarrassment. But I felt in my spirit, I felt this distinct sense, great acceleration is coming. And I've been, this is new for me, but the scripture says that we should eagerly desire the spiritual gifts and especially that we should prophesy. Meaning you you are hearing something from the heart of God for his people. This is what prophecy is, right? This is meant to console and to encourage and to comfort God's people. And so I'm, I'm trying to learn to go, God, what are you saying? I wanna listen, what are you saying? 
It'll always be in line with his word. It's not wackadoo. But I felt this in my spirit. And I just held on to that. I didn't say anything to anybody. Just held on to that. Okay, well, Lord, what was that? We get back from vacation. We're in a staff meeting, sitting there. And honey says, I just sense in my spirit, God saying, great acceleration. Yes. I said, I almost had to fall down to get that message. But God's, God's doing something. Now, here's the thing. Um, I want us all to be braced and ready. I don't want anybody falling over. And I certainly don't want anybody being left behind. And so as we're on the cusp of something as a church and we're sensing that the Lord is doing something that's big in the earth and our world is kind of facing this geopolitical uncertainty and economic uncertainty, that there's so much that we're on the cusp of and we sense that there's so much that we're gonna be moving into, we wanna make sure that we have our vision focused in the right place. You know this? We need a Jesus-centered vision. We don't wanna have an economy-centered vision. We don't even wanna have a a church expansion strategy-centered vision. We don't, want to have, we don't want to have a revival-centered vision. We want to have a Jesus-centered vision. And I believe that when we put our attention on Jesus, and this is the clear teaching of his word, we are going to find ourselves within his move and being a part of what it is that he is doing. Are you guys ready for that? Yeah. All right, so that's what's happening here in Mark 8, 34 to 38, just to whet your appetite. And so here we go. We want to be, we want to be ready. Here's what it says, Mark 8, 34 to 38. Uh, Peter has just rebuked Jesus. Jesus then turned, rebukes Peter. And then in verse 34, it says, and calling the crowd to him with his disciples, he said to them, if anyone would come after me, come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake in the gospels will save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and to forfeit his soul? For what can a man give in return for his soul? For whoever is ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him will the Son of Man also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. God, we thank you for your word that's been read in our hearing. God, we believe and confess that it has power to transform. And so we ask that you would give us ears to hear. God, we thank you that your word is attended by your Holy Spirit and that you do a work to open our eyes to see and our ears to hear and to give us hearts to understand. And we pray that we would see Jesus and see Jesus clearly and that we would know what it means to come after him. God, we want to be ready for this great acceleration that we are about to experience. We want to be prepared for no matter what lies in front of us, and we want to have eyes fixed on Jesus. And so will you help us to see, in Jesus' name we're asking, and all God's people said, amen, amen. I did want to just thank um, all the folks who came out to help us at our first uh, workday at the new campus yesterday. Wow, we had an incredible turnout. We got way more done than I imagined that we would. It was so, so amazing. We left just like staggered at the amount of work that was done. It was, it was awesome. So thank you guys so much. We'll let you know when there's more opportunities to be out there and to serve, but that was just incredible. Um, I love this passage of scripture because uh, Jesus is inviting universally every person in his hearing to follow him, to come after him. And isn't it cool to get a, an invite, a personal invite like that? 
and it's for everyone. There's nobody excluded. If you can hear Jesus, you are invited to participate. But he also gives us the terms and conditions of what it means to follow him. And Jesus is, he is right out front with what it costs. He is not like Apple, right? You ever open up your iPhone and it was like, oh, you've had an update and you can't use your phone until you click this button and press accept. Like, what did you do in the night, Apple? You guys ever felt like that? Yeah, so, and we're this culture where we just like click, accept, and move on. We have no idea what we're even signing up for. Sometimes it's a good thing. Sometimes it's a bad thing. I read an article recently from NPR that said, uh, a Georgia high school teacher, Donellen Andrews, won a $10,000 reward after she closely read the terms and conditions that came with a travel insurance policy that she purchased for a trip to England. Squaremouth, a Florida insurance company, had inserted language promising a reward to the first person who emailed the company. They wrote, we understand most customers don't actually read contracts or documentation when buying something, and we know the importance of doing so. We created a top-secret pays-to-read campaign in an effort to highlight the importance of reading policy documentation from start to finish. So they sent her a $10,000 check for reading the terms and conditions. Some of you will be like, I'll never not read the terms and conditions. <laughs> There's other reasons why you should read them. In 2017, 22,000 people who signed up for free public Wi-Fi inadvertently agreed to 1,000 hours of community service including the cleaning of toilets and relieving sewer blockages. The company, Manchester-based Purple, said it inserted the clause in its agreement to illustrate the lack of consumer awareness of what they were signing up to when they access free Wi-Fi. A few years earlier, several Londoners agreed, presumably inadvertently, to give away their oldest child in exchange for Wi-Fi access. Before they could get on the internet, users had to check a box agreeing to assign their firstborn child to us for the duration of eternity. Isn't that hilarious? Six people clicked that box. And on April Fool's Day 2010, British retailer GameStation inserted a new clause into its license agreement with a checkbox already ticked. If users didn't uncheck the box, they agreed to grant GameStation a non-transferable option to claim now and forevermore their immortal soul. And it said underneath that GameStation, if they chose to exercise the soul transfer, would serve notice in six-foot-high letters of fire. <laughs> Happy April Fools, everybody. You may want to read the terms and conditions. That's the point. Well, Jesus doesn't make you read a long list of terms and conditions. He doesn't bury anything in the fine print. Jesus is very straightforward, and he gives three requirements to this universal offer. If you are going to come after Jesus and everyone's invited, then there's an if. He says, if anyone come after me, here's the three conditions, you must deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow Jesus. Each of these imperatives is connected by an and, and they're set apart, and we need to consider them for ourselves so that we see Jesus clearly and so that we are prepared for the great acceleration that he is bringing. Number one, deny yourself. I think quickly our mind fills in what deny yourself means. You know, we are uh, a, a culture of excess. You guys realize this. Uh, we have more prosperity than any other nation in the history of humanity, and so we're actually always fighting too much, and so we are denying ourselves all the time. We deny ourselves 
desserts and we deny ourselves snacks after nine o'clock or midnight if you're a gizmo. And we deny ourselves all sorts of different things in order to curb our appetites. You guys know what I'm talking about? We force ourselves to go to the gym. We make ourselves take the stairs. We, we look at denial of self as an apparent inward desire that we deem to not be in our best long-term interest. And then we say no to ourself. You guys know what I'm talking about? And since we do that, we read Jesus saying, deny yourself. And we think that's what he means. That is not what he means. In the original Greek, the word translated deny is actually renounce. And to renounce oneself without a direct object, it's not saying deny yourself things or deny yourself desires. It's saying renounce yourself as the final arbiter of what is your highest and best. You see, the the default position that we all emerge into life with is that we are the final arbiter of what is our highest and best. And in fact, even kind of the presupposition behind self-denial is us making a decision for what is best for us in the future. When you decide not to have an extra slice of cake, it's because you either don't want to have a stomach ache in 30 minutes or you don't want to gain 10 pounds in the next 10 years. You know what I'm saying? But you are still functioning as the final arbiter of what is your highest and best. And here Jesus is making a precondition to coming after him that we would deny ourself. Listen, the lie that our world pushes is that you are, in fact, the final arbiter for your highest and best, that no one can make a decision for you better than you, and that you need to be in charge of everything. Now, every other voice is vying for to convince you of that this is the best course, that this is the best interest, that this is the best product, and it's appealing to the presupposition that we make the best decisions for us. But here's the truth. God knows, and Jesus is saying, you are actually not the best arbiter for all of your decisions. And in fact, you trying to function as final arbiter puts you at a disadvantage and leads you to a path aimed at death. But Jesus came to give us life and life to the fullest. And he says, if you want to come after me, you gotta start by saying, there is someone who knows better and loves me better than me. And his name is Jesus. That's a very different deny yourself than one that we quickly fill in the blank for. Now, the, the other part of this is, now this is not only a presupposition that our culture is against, but the, in fact, the exact opposite is pushed everywhere you look. In fact, the world is saying, not only are you, of course, we don't have to say that you're the final arbiter of what's your highest and best, but now you need to look inward for your desires to shape your destiny. In fact, your highest and best will come when you give yourself everything that you want. Now, sometimes we'll, we'll back push on this and you'll go, well, I don't want to eat too much or drink too much or work too much. So you put some too much language in there. But ultimately, the world is saying, whatever it is that you think about the world, that's you. And whatever it is that you desire inside on the inside, that's you. You are what you want is the message of the world. And in fact, you will not find yourself satisfied until you give yourself what you want. And unfortunately, there's too many Jesus followers who believe this lie and are living this way, and it's leading them to an unhappy existence and ultimately to an end that results separation from God and death. Now, Jesus was very bold about this. He gathered everybody together and he said, listen, anyone can come after me, but if you come after me, you have to deny yourself, which means you acknowledge that he is the one who knows best. 
that he is the one who informs even our desires on the inside, that he is the one that we can trust to lead us from the kingdom of darkness and into the kingdom of life. Do you understand? That's a bold assertion for Jesus, and he doesn't bury it. He puts it right out there at the front. Secondly, he says, to take up your cross. And again, this this phrase is trivialized in our culture to the point of losing its meaning altogether. In fact, we even have a euphemism, it's my cross to bear. Have you guys ever said or heard that? Where typically we look to some unavoidable circumstance that we either cause for ourselves or that was or was done to us that we have no control over, and then we have to like live with that with the best attitude possible, and that is how we say, "Well, that's my cross to bear." And so we We have this idea that taking up your cross is somehow connected to denying yourself, and it's your way of saying, well, I'm just going to suffer under whatever it takes for me to go this course. That is not what Jesus is saying at all. Would you like to know what he's saying? In fact, this is hearkening back to chapter 8 and verse 15. I told you I was going to talk about this this week, where Jesus is cautioning the disciples with bold language. He says, watch out. Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. But you'll remember that when Jesus said this, the disciples had just gotten on a boat and left behind seven baskets of leftover food, and they took one loaf of bread, and they all knew that they had one loaf of bread, and they all recognized the major failures had been made, and then Jesus starts talking about leaven, and so they're like, he knows about the bread. (laughs) And the whole conversation gets derailed to talk about, why are you talking about that? Do you not understand what's happening here? But I want to go back to what Jesus was actually trying to say. He said, watch out, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and of Herod. Now, leaven is yeast, and we don't, you guys probably don't make your own bread. Some of you may. But you have bread, and it will not rise until you put yeast in it. And that is another word for that yeast is leaven. And you put a little tiny bit of that yeast in that bread, and it, it chemically activates the, the starches in that bread, and it causes it to rise which is why you get nice fluffy bread with little tiny holes in it, and it spreads throughout the whole entire lump. And that's a natural process that everyone in the first century was aware of. And so you had two types of bread, leavened bread and unleavened bread, or flat bread. So you have flat bread pizza, snap snap right through it, no leaven. You have a nice New York style, you have something like some Sicilian pizza in there, got some yeast in there. Jesus says, listen, there is something about what these Pharisees say and something about what Herod is pushing that will get into your soul and it will grow. And I need you to watch out for it. Now, what were those things? There's a lot of conjecture about what those things were, and there's a lot of like spectrum about what those things meant. And certainly it did mean that there was a religious spirit with the Pharisees, and there was a collusion with the world and Herod. And so you can, you can kind of like moralize that into like, don't be legalistic, don't be licentious or worldly, and have, you just talk about your behavior. But Jesus uses the term cross. We look at that word through the lens of the death of Jesus on a cross, do we not? But at this point, had Jesus been crucified? No. And when he said this to his disciples, what was the imagery that they would be thinking about? They would be thinking about a treasonous, humiliating death under the oppressive world system of power that was Rome. And Jesus is not saying, avoid a cross at all costs. He's saying, take up your cross and follow me. What does that mean? Here's what it means. The Pharisees and the Herodians had this in common. They were colluding with the world system of power. The Pharisees isolated themselves within that world system of power. They criticized it with their words, but ultimately they did whatever they could do to maintain their own little bit of power within it. 
And then they ex- sought to expand that power with an expectation that God would somehow respond to their, their religious fervor and zeal and bring about a Messiah that would take over that whole system of power and that that would come miraculously and religiously. And so they, they didn't, like John the Baptist, call people out for doing wrong things at all. They just said, okay, you're, uh, you're the them, we're the us, we're gonna do us, and then God's gonna bless us as we do the right good things. That's what the Pharisees did. They insulated themselves inside the system of power. The Herodians, they did the opposite. Herod made himself, as a, as a like Jew, the builder of the second temple, he aligned himself with Rome. He was the king of this area of Judea, and he was called the king of the Jews. You guys realize Jesus wasn't the first one to have this title. Herod was the king of the Jews. And instead of isolating himself within the system of power, he aligned himself in the structure of power and had aims towards climbing that system of power and using that, that, that system of power's influence to bring about uh, what he thought was God's will. Now, both of these were both political and religious, and both of them were dead wrong. Now, we have the same exact thing going on in our culture right now. Do you guys realize this? There's a whole brand of religiosity that buries itself, insulated inside of the world. They're the problem out there. We're doing our thing in here. God's gonna come in this way as we kind of do our thing, making no difference in the world around us, completely insulated and avoiding anything that has to do with anything, right? And you have this whole group of people that is basically saying, hey, we're gonna take back this country for Jesus with a cross flag and an AK-47. Are either of these right? No. And Jesus condemns them both. He says, watch out. There's a hope in there that will get into your soul and it will spread like leaven. There is a way of thinking that will actually keep you from doing what God puts you here to do. There is another way. And Jesus said, you ought to be living your life in such a way that it puts a target on your back. And so you take that cross every day and follow me. That's bold, isn't it? That's bold. That's saying you're going to work into the world opposing every system of power, calling evil evil and good good. You are not going to be shut down. You are not going to hide. You are not going to insulate, but you are also not going to collude and get in there and try to use the system and exploit it in the same way that it's using its system now. Do you see what he's doing? So Jesus says, deny yourself, take up your cross, which means that we're going to reject the world's system of winning and losing And we're going to follow him no matter what it looks like and no matter what it means. That's some third party talk right there. I'll tell you what. Verse or part three, look at this. Deny yourself, take up your cross, follow Jesus, follow Jesus. Now, a lot of us, we, we colloquialize this. We say, I'm a Jesus follower. Are you a Jesus follower? Who's a Jesus follower? We think I believe in Jesus. Therefore, I'm a Jesus follower. But I love that Jesus sets this aside. He says, follow me. Think about this for a second. This word follow means there's motion, doesn't it? Physical motion. Jesus invited the disciples to follow him. And then he went all kinds of places. I love watching the chosen and seeing Jesus just moving all over the place. They're like, oh, let's stay here. Oh, there goes Jesus. Oh, let's do this. Oh, there goes Jesus. And he's just moving, 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 moving. He keeps everybody on their toes, doesn't he? Now, following him has become analogous to us where we go, I'm gonna do what you say and do these things and follow these steps and live biblically and we use these phrases. No, no, no. Jesus is saying, literally, I want you to go where I go and to do with me the things that I'm doing and to care about the people that I am going to care about. Do you understand? 
This is the invitation to movement. It is an invitation to a relationship. And this is super important. We have to get this because there is a static uh, relationship that we have with Jesus that we just celebrated in the sacrament of communion. Did we not? We just recognized that God did a thing for us that we could not do for ourselves and that through our trust and uh, allegiance to Jesus, he has done a thing that is done, right? It's not, it's not you trying to prove something to God or get something done or, or make it to heaven. No, 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 God did it and it's done. And so we take communion to remind ourselves that God's salvation came to us and is in us and we received it as a gift of his grace and by faith and we are his, amen? And you have a relationship with Jesus. But that doesn't mean you get to stay home every day. Do you realize this? Jesus is inviting you to work with him, to walk with him, to do the things he does and to go the places he goes. It is dynamic and it is moving. And so it's a relationship that moves. Every day we're disciples. We listen, we learn, and we love. We listen, we learn, and we love. Too many of us stop at listen and learn. We listen, new information, we learn, we hold on to it, and then we do nothing with it. Are we gonna, are we gonna be a part of a revival living like that? Are we gonna move? Or are we gonna be stumbling through the sky rail as this movement of God takes off without us? Now, Jesus tells us what it takes to come after him, but he also explains why. Aren't you glad that Jesus doesn't say, do it and don't ask questions like an impatient parent? Why, why, why every middle school student? Why, why every elementary school student? Why dad, why mom? Just do it because I said so. I'm the mom, right? Jesus says why, here's the whys. I'll give them to you quickly. And, and they're important because they're counterintuitive. Do you guys know what counterintuitive means? It's the opposite of the way that it appears. Do you guys know counterintuitive? You know some counterintuitive things. Um, we know now that our earth is a sphere. It is not flat. I mean, there's some people still hanging on, but for the, most part, for the most part, we all recognize that while the earth feels flat, it's actually spherical. In fact, if you go up high enough, you can start to see the bend of the, of the earth, right? So that's counterintuitive. It feels flat, but it's actually round. And then you go, well, aren't I upside down when I'm on the bottom? Mm, that's not how it feels. It's counterintuitive. So we live in a solar system that is heliocentric. It appears that the earth is just sitting here and the sun is moving around the earth, doesn't it? But that's not what's happening. The sun's actually fixed and we're spinning and also going around the earth and it looks like that, so it's counterintuitive. You guys know this, right? You learned this in middle school. You remember this? It's true, and as soon as you know it's true, it actually changes the way that you think about and talk about what's happening around you. Do you understand? The same is true for time. Do you guys realize that time is not fixed, that time is relative? This is what Einstein gives to us in the theory of special and general relativity. He's looking at the speed of light, which is apparently fixed. And so he theorized that time was actually relative and that we were experiencing time in different ways. Now, it's so, so fixed to us because we're all experiencing it together. But the truth is, if you put an atomic clock in California and you put another one on a jet and they match and that jet flies around the earth, when it comes back, those two clocks do not match because motion affects the passage of time. Did you know that? Some of you are like, no. Yeah, it's counterintuitive. And so Jesus says these four very simple why you should come after him and why it's worth denying yourself and taking your cross and following him. It's because of these four counterintuitive realities. Listen, number one is from verse 35. We live in an upside down world. We're, we're accustomed to it, but it's upside down. And in fact, it's upside down to the point where when Jesus talks about the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of heaven sounds upside down. But we've been hanging from the monkey bars it's not Jesus that's upside down. He's not standing on the ceiling. The world we live in 
is upside down. Look at verse 35. For whoever would save his life will lose it. That's backwards. Whoever loses his life for my sake in the gospels will save it. Wait, you're saying if I live in a way that I'm like literally throwing my life away, that's actually how I get it and it's saved? Yes. But if I try to do whatever it takes to maintain control of it and hold on to it so I don't lose it, then I actually lose it, right? It's an upside down world we live in. Jesus said in Matthew 20, 16, this is why the last will be first and the first will be last. We have these conversations, Meredith's on the front row in this service and we were talking about this recently. We were talking about the Titanic and how many people perished on the Titanic and why. And part of the reason many people died on the Titanic was because they thought the Titanic was unsinkable and so they didn't put enough lifeboats on there. The other reason that many people perished on the Titanic was because rich people got on first and when they got uncomfortable with too many people, they just pushed off and they left room for hundreds of people in the lifeboats that were there. And then people perished because all these people were trapped in the bottom of the Titanic and they couldn't get out to the top of it fast enough and even if they could, there was no place for them to go. And Meredith asked me like, why were all the poor people on the bottom of the boat? So you can tell she's never been on a cruise. Now, we're adapted to our world, but it's actually, why is it? Why is it that all the poor people are on the bottom of the boat? Why is it that the more wealth and success and access you have, the better things get for you? We had the same conversation about Amscot. She said, Dad, what's that store on the corner? I said, oh, that's a bank that has permission to extort poor people. <laughs> what? Yeah, it's very expensive to be poor, I tell her. The poorer you are, the higher money costs to borrow. Did you know that? Why? That seems backwards. Shouldn't we be helping people who have less? Shouldn't it cost them less? Actually, no, the more money you have, the lower the interest rates you get are. The more money you have to pay your bills, the higher your credit score goes, and then people are ready to loan you money because they don't want to risk. Wait, so it's more expensive to have less money? Yup. Is that the world we live in? Yeah. Is that the way it ought to be? See, our world is upside down. And Jesus comes along and he explains to us how to see the world as it truly is. Whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake, if you live with Jesus towards the gospel, then you'll gain it. Secondly, he says that you were made for eternity. Look at verse 36. What does it profit a man to gain the whole world and to forfeit his soul? You were made for eternity. You were built by God to last forever. Isn't this good news? Especially for those of us who are aging at a rather rapid decline. I felt myself in my 30s like, I can feel myself getting older. Now I feel like I hit the top and I am descending quickly. I don't know what it's like down there at the bottom. You guys can tell me. But the, the reality is we know on the inside that's unnatural and we were made for something bigger and longer, don't we? In fact, if Ecclesiastes 3.11 says that God has put eternity into our hearts and yet we're unable to perceive what has been from the beginning or what will be in the end. Why? Because God wants us to know that we were made for him and made to last forever, but we're also made to depend on him and so he doesn't tell us what came first and what's coming next. You have a soul. There's a, a part of you. It's the reason the English translators in all the translations translate this word soul instead of life because you can go either way, suke in Greek. It can be your life or it can be your soul, but here the emphasis is on eternity that you were made for something bigger and longer. And we don't wanna hear about this. We don't wanna think about this. We wanna think about right now, what's next? We wanna think about our retirement. We wanna think about our vacation. We wanna think about our kids next, whatever it is, whatever you are on the journey. We don't wanna, it's why, we, it's why people don't like funerals. No one ever gets an invite to a funeral. And you're like, yay, I was looking for something to do this weekend. <laughs> right? You force yourself to go. And for many reasons. One, it's hard to deal with negative emotion. We don't know how to process grief. We're powerless to help, and so we feel bad showing up. We don't know what to say. And then you get there, and it's dark, and people are sad, and you don't have anything you can do about that, and now you're faced with the reality that your life will not last forever either. 
But the truth is, in this upside-down world, God gave you a soul, and he wants you to live with him forever. You were made for something longer than this life, and that's more durable than death. And that is where Jesus is going, and that's what you're being invited into. Thirdly, this is really important, verse 37. What can a man give in return for his soul? Do you know that you don't own your soul? You don't own your soul. I could do a whole sermon just on that. You don't own your soul, and you can't afford to buy it. Let that sink in for a second. You ever hear somebody say that they sold their soul to the devil? You ever heard that phrase? That person sold their soul. The presumption there is it was yours to sell. Guess what? It wasn't. It wasn't. God made you. God made you on purpose. He owns you. Lostness is the reality that you treated your soul like it belonged to you. The fact that you needed a ransom that Jesus would come to be is, is, is telling that your soul was never yours. That your brokenness from God is you trying to act like you have ownership of your soul. The good news is, if you sold your soul to the devil, it's a mute point because he can't buy it because you can't sell it. Isn't that good news? And the only person that owns it is the only one who died so he could get it back. And so Jesus is recognizing there's nothing you can do to get your soul back because it's not yours and you can't afford to buy it. Psalm 24, one says, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and those who dwell therein. You were God's before you even were self-aware. Do you know that? And essentially through sin, through disbelief, you pawned yourself and you got yourself in the situation you're in. And Jesus comes to be your ransom. Jesus comes to buy you out of pawn, to get you out of hawk and to make you his forever. Isn't that good news? And then lastly, verses 38, well, just 38, you will stand in judgment. Jesus says, whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him will the son of man be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his father with the holy angel. This is the return of Christ in the final judgment, the great sorting. And so do you wanna have Jesus be ashamed of you? How many Jesus followers are like, yeah, I follow Jesus, but I don't talk about it. It's embarrassing to me. I don't wanna get into conflict. I just do my little life. You're over here with the leaven of the Pharisees, trying to get by, trying to not be paid attention to. Jesus says, you're, you're ashamed of me? And he's a stark warning. A day is coming when you will face judgment. You will give an account for you. And there will be no defense attorneys in, in this moment, by the way. I'd like to uh, submit for your consideration Exhibit A, which shows that my client, <clears throat> God sees, you see, there's no arguments. That day is coming, and Jesus says, the best thing you can do is to follow me. Amen. Deny yourself as the final arbiter of your highest and best. Take up your cross. Live in opposition to this world system of power. Put a target on your own back with the way that you're living. Turn this upside down world right side up with me, because that's where I'm going, and so follow me. Isn't that amazing? What an invitation. That's a Jesus-centered vision that I can give my life to, and I can know that I have nothing to be ashamed of. Listen, I don't align. People ask me, are you on the left or the right? I don't align because I'm following Jesus. Sometimes you're wrong. Sometimes you're wrong. In some ways, we're all wrong. In some ways, the whole system's wrong, and I'm living in another world. Question is, will I use what God gave me to turn the world right side up everywhere that I go? That's the question, and that's what a Jesus-centered vision is going to do. Now, what does it mean then to come after him? What does it mean? He told you why you should come after him. He told you what it takes. But what it, 
What does it mean to actually do this? It is a belief, it is a trust, it's a relationship that moves. There's obedience involved. There's a transfer of allegiance from you to someone else. But the reality is, is that this is actually quite easy once you have a Jesus-centered vision. Once you actually get a glimpse of Jesus, this is the smartest decision and the easiest decision you'll ever make. It's not hard. Do you know this? I don't have to convince you of this. All I have to do is show you the deal that's on the table. And you go, "Uh, why would I do anything else? Exactly. The invitation is, come after me. The problem is, the problem is, is that there's other voices that we listen to. And those other voices are the ones that we believe. Some of those voices came from an abusive parent. Some of them came from an aggressive middle school teacher or middle school student. Some of those are, are lies inserted to us by our enemies. Some of those are insecurities that we gave voice to and we believed, and we are living our lives believing those lies and avoiding the outcome of their threats, and we're living to follow something completely other than Jesus. And today is a point of rescue for you. Today is a, is a point of offering for a new path. Jesus is saying, I want you to come after me. It's the best thing you could possibly do. It will affect your immortal soul. It will change everything, and I'm about to do a work in this earth, and I want you to help me flip this world right side up. Do you see this? So think about this for a second. Who are the voices you listen to? You are not your ADHD. You are not your ADHD. And in fact, if your soul was made by God and he's inviting you, it may be to your advantage that you are easily reassigned and always ready to move. Depends which voice you're gonna listen to. You've been told by an abusive church leader that you were unsubmissive and arrogant because he was seeking to keep control over you. You are not unsubmissive. You are not arrogant. You might actually just be courageous and bold and honest. Depends which voice you're listening to. You were made to feel or told that you were unwanted and unnecessary by someone who was jealous of you and insecure at your existence but you are not unwanted or unnecessary. You are chosen and cherished and powerful. You were told that you are weak and you are paralyzed and you can do nothing, but you have been invited to be a part of world change. You are sent and you are an overcomer. Which voice are you gonna listen to? You have been told that your only value is what you can do for other people. And when you stop doing, nobody wants you. But that's not true. You are more than enough. And you are worth the king of heaven giving his life in exchange so that you could be God's forever. You are not too old to make a difference and you are not too young for your decisions to matter. And so my question for you is when you face down these accusations that keep you from moving with Jesus, my question for you is this, who told you that? Who told you that? Do you trust your middle school bully more than the king of the universe? Do you trust your abusive parent, step-parent? Do you you trust that old, conceited, arrogant pastor that you tried so hard to impress? Do you trust these people more than you trust Jesus? Who told you that? 
This is why in Mark chapter nine, at the transfiguration, when Jesus is revealing himself in his glory with Elijah and Moses to Peter, James, and John, two witnesses establishing the identity of Jesus for three witnesses who would then give testimony to the, test, to the reality of who Jesus is, right? And Peter starts talking because he's nervous. He doesn't know what else to do. And a cloud comes from heaven. And what does God say about Jesus? And to everyone listening, he says, this is my beloved son. Listen to him. And so listen to Jesus, listen to him, trust him, live your life following him. There is not a better thing you can do with your life than to deny yourself as the final arbiter of your highest good. I make crappy decisions for me. Somebody say amen. Amen. So many times I have thought that will make me happy. That will make me successful. That will take me where I want to go. And I have been sadly disappointed. But every time I've listened to Jesus and when he said, do this, and I say, that hurts, I don't know. I'm afraid. That's going to cost too much. What will happen if? But I did it. On the other side, I said, I can't believe that I am where I am. Do you understand? Who are you going to listen to? Who are you going to listen to? You or him? This is, this is a big deal, you guys. It's a big deal. And your response to this will dictate the future of the world around you. Do you know this? No revival started when people said, I believe this to be true. I'm going to go home and sit on my butt and think about that. It started when people took the words of Jesus seriously and went out there and followed him. And so here's the invitation. Come after Jesus. Deny yourself. Take up your cross and follow him. And this is where you will truly find life. Amen? Some of you, we don't have time for music. Some of you, um, you haven't made this decision ever. And I'm putting you on the spot right now. Like right now, I'm putting you on the spot. Today's your day, because this is course altering for you. You've been on a course, and now you're having to deal with this news. What you do with this is gonna reshape the whole future of your life. And so I'm putting you on the spot to make a decision today to follow Jesus. God will do a miracle on the inside of you when you turn to him in repentance, and he will give you a new heart and a new mind and new desires, and everything will be different, but you will still be called to follow Jesus every single day. Somebody say amen. Some of you said yes to Jesus a long time ago, and you, you started following him for a while, but you've been listening to the wrong voices for a long time. And you're not really doing anything. And maybe that voice is on the inside of you. And you are believing that you're the arbiter of your highest and best. And so today, you're not choosing to follow Jesus for the first time, but you're coming back to him and saying, hey, you've been moving and I've been sitting at home. And so I'm coming back to say, sorry for, for making these calls and living this way, and I'm gonna follow you. And some of us have been trying so hard and pulling all the weight and pulling all the load. And this is the moment, I'm telling you, when you see people step up to be who God made them to be. And so I want you to be an encourager. I want you to look at people in the eye and tell them who God's making them into. Be a voice that sounds like Jesus and not like a critic, amen? Can we be that together? Father God, I just pray on behalf of every person in this space where we're encountering these words from Jesus in different ways. And I just wanna first pray for those Uh, who have been living under their own leadership, under their own rulership, under their own wisdom, and seeking after what they want. And right now they know that they should not and cannot do this, and it will end very badly. And I just pray, Lord, that you would move by your spirit on the inside of them, that they would hear this invitation. Anyone would come after me. This invitation from the king of the universe who died to save them, who's turning this world right side up. God, I pray that as they hear that in their spirit, that they would respond with faith and obedience. 
God, I pray you'd give them the, the, the boldness to confess with their mouth. Nope, Jesus is who he says he is. And I'm gonna reorder my life around that. And I pray right now, God, you do a miracle on the inside of them to bring them to life. God, for them now and everyone who's seeking to come back to you, Lord, I pray that as we come to you every day looking for our assignment, looking to be in a relationship that moves following you, God, I pray that we would go the places that you are going and talk to the people that you are caring about and engaging in the activities that are gonna change this world for the better. God, we wanna follow Jesus. And so help us to know how to do that. God, I pray that you would make us into a people who speak like Jesus. We speak life. We speak encouragement. God, we shout down the lies that come up in our words or in our feelings or in our fears, and that we help each other to keep moving forward to come after Jesus more and more and more. God, I pray for every lost and hopeless person who is going to interact with one of these disciples today. Lord, I pray that a divine miracle from heaven would take place, Lord, as we go where you want us to go. We're giving you our allegiance. We're asking you to take everything that we have use it for your glory. In Jesus' mighty name, and all God's people said, amen. Amen. God bless you guys.